You're listening to The Griffin's Nest, a podcast on all things futsal. Welcome to The Griffin's Nest. Myself, Liam and James are today joined by Stuart Cook. I've been recommended by his good friend Liam Palfreyman, obviously smashing it in Italy. Um, And what we're going to find out today about Stuart is obviously some of his experiences with his futsal, but also maybe trying to dig into some of his stories where they are appropriate of course from his time in the in the big game so before we dig in Stuart would you like just for our listeners just in your words how would you describe yourself in the futsal world um oh thank you for having me first and foremost in terms of describing myself I mean I was once I was asked that previously uh years ago and I always described myself as a fat lad with decent feet um and that kind of always covered most of it um been a few times where I've been a thin lad with decent feet but they've been few and far between um so no obviously I, you know I've I've been playing futsal since 2009 uh, when I first got involved and you know I've never really looked back I, I got hooked on the game pretty quickly because it's everything that football's not you know football's all about running hard and kicking and the physical side of the game and that's everything I don't particularly like on a grass pitch. Um, I quite enjoy it on a futsal pitch because it's a little bit different. You have to think about your physical attributes. Um, but no, I, I just fell in love with futsal and never really looked back. And yeah, it's been been a huge part of my life for over a decade. You've talked about obviously not necessarily enjoying football too much or not necessarily enjoying it, but the, the elements of the game you didn't necessarily enjoy. Um before futsal, because I've got no idea, did you have much of a footballing background? I presume when you were younger, you would have. Have you sort of played at a decent level adult-wise? or? Yeah, so uh, obviously I, I fell out of a professional game at 16. Um, Adol Daddies of being too small. Uh, was a, a sort of a technical player, but had a bit of a growth spurt and ended up in non-league sort of just after I turned about 17. Um, played most of my career in probably the Welsh Prem um, for teams like uh, Konoski Nomads, Bangor City um, and Kevin Druidge was my last club. Uh, and then I played in the English system for about four, five, four or five years for Northridge Victoria, Salford City and Curzon Ashton, who were obviously, I mean, Salford are, are flying high, Northridge Vicks uh, have had some pretty good FA Cup runs over the years uh, and Curzon are probably the, the least well-known of the, the clubs that I've played for. But yeah, I... I, I, I mean, I did have times where I enjoyed football, but, you know, it's football's really clicky, uh, as, as a lot of team sports are, but in non-league, it's it, it, it can be really bad. Um, and that's not the reason I didn't enjoy it. I just, I felt like I loved with football a long time ago, you know. I mean, I think if I hadn't found futsal when I did, I don't think I'd have carried on playing football. Um, you know, I'd, I found futsal and, and it, pro- it, it probably reinvigorated my my love for sport more than just anything else. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm really thankful for that. But yeah, the, the football side of it, it's got its ups and downs, but so is everything else. In terms of obviously your futsal, you've played a game for Bolton and you were quite unfortunate with a, an injury, haven't you? You've played for loads of different clubs and different teams and represented England with a lot of different caps um, or a lot of caps in general. What I'm intrigued to find out is who would you say, and I ask this to all the people that come on, who's the best player you've played with and who's the best player you've played against in a futsal thing? And for you, I can imagine it'd be quite tough because you've played against some and with some unbelievable players. Um, actually, no, it's, it's not that difficult. Um, I, the the best I've played against is the Slovenia captain, um, Igor Ozredekar. 
Uh, I think I've said that correctly. Um, we played against him in 2013 um, in our first main round sort of uh, tournament out in Turkey. And we'd, we'd lost the first game 7-0 against Ukraine, who I think was seventh or eighth ranked in the world. Um, and we conceded four in like the last minute. Um, it was for a long time known as the mad minute amongst the England squad. Uh, and then we played Savinia in the last game and they'd already qualified. Um, I mean, I don't think they were... They weren't favourites to qualify, but they beat Ukraine the night before and we played them and they didn't really get out of first gear, but in all three games, he was just, he was head and shoulders above everybody else, you know, and he, he played the best part of 35, 38 minutes of a 40-minute game at, at full tilt, never looked tired, never never looked like he got a sweat on, really. I mean, he had no hair, so you couldn't really tell. Um, but he, he, he he's standing head and shoulders above everybody else I've played for. Um, obviously, I missed the, the trip out to Italy last year because of injury. Injury, and I think you know from speaking to Liam, he he thinks Merlim is probably head and shoulders above everyone he's played against as well. So I think sometimes you just you play against someone and and they just stick out as you know he's, he was a bit special. It, it probably was more noticeable for me because he was playing in a similar position. He was playing as a fix. Um, so I was already watching him and, and looking for things that he was doing and trying to, I suppose, learn from him. So, yeah, his performance always always sticks out. Um, and in terms of playing with, um, I guessed it for Middlesbrough in a tournament in 2011 out in Barcelona. Uh, and he had a, a, a young lad, I think he was 22, 23 at the time, Ernesto Casan, And he just won the Euros, the under-21 Euros with Spain. Uh, and again, probably... In terms of his intensity and his sharpness and his movement, he was, at the time especially, uh, again, probably above anybody I played with. And obviously, I'm, although I've played for quite a lot of clubs, I've, I've, I've played for English clubs. So I've played for Helvetia and Manchester and before that, Liverpool. So there, there, are, there hasn't always been a, a, a big influx of foreign players, you know. Um, so I haven't played with a, a whole host of players like Liam has, who's played in three or four different countries and obviously played at Baku, um, you know, where they, where they had World Cup winners and, and you know, top division players abroad. So I'm probably limited in terms of foreign influence. Uh, I've played with a lot of very good English players, um, but in terms of foreign players, I'm, I'm limited in my choices. So do you think, um, so you, know, you did touch on it a little bit, obviously having mostly played in England or exclusively played in England, you've obviously seen kind of the transition of it between uh, what was the original National League, the Super League, obviously through the international setup to what it is now. Uh, Liam Puffreeman actually said some of the episodes when he was on uh, that the English game isn't really a million miles away from some of the professional leagues in different countries. Would you agree with that technically, with like skill-wise and kind of individual talent or do you think we are still quite a way off? I mean, I, I think there's, I think there's levels to it, isn't there? You know, I mean, I, I, I always, and I said this recently, I, I felt, I always felt when we played international teams who had professional players and that I never personally once felt out of my depth. I never, I never stepped on court and thought these are too good for us. Um, you know, and I, I had the opportunity to go abroad on a few different occasions and, and it never, it was never right for me, but I didn't find, I didn't find out what futsal was until I was 23. Um, and then I had a two year injury. So I didn't really start playing futsal until I was 25. You know, by that time I had two kids, a mortgage and a full-time career. So the opportunities that I was, I was given were, were never really feasible. Um, but I, I've played with plenty of players within England who have played in, 
whether it be the Spanish top division or, or second division or over in Italy in certain divisions and I've played against professional teams, whether it be from Cyprus or, or Italy or, or Spain. And I, and I think technically, I think there's plenty of English players who can go and play abroad at a good level and earn a, a reasonable sort of financial amount. But the, the difference is the amount of time you want to afford to it. it it's a cultural thing, you know, when, when, even players I've played with in this country, they want to take the sport very seriously. You know, even if we're, even if as a club you're only training once or twice a week, they want more. They want to do it more. They want to. They want it to be the sort of a high priority within their life. Um, whereas I think with English, the English mentality is that work, family, and everything else comes first, which is completely understandable, and that's always where the, the sort of camp that I've I've sat in. You know, but. When you go abroad, it is different. You know, they do, it, they, they have amateur teams who are training three, four times a week. So the professional teams are taking it even more seriously. And that's where the, that's where the, the gap starts to open uh, in, in terms of your learning at whatever age you are. Um, so I, I, I do think players have the ability to do it and the technical attributes to do it. It's whether you're willing to sacrifice what you can sort of, your standard of living to go and commit in terms of the sport. Yeah, I'm glad that you said what you did with um, having discovered it at the age that you did. So, 23, that's uh, not to make you feel old, but that's how old I am now. Um, having discovered it myself at school growing up in Spain. But I, I stand by quite strongly that the game's not where it's meant to be in England because people do discover it too late. So, people like yourself obviously achieved great things, not to kind of make your head too big, but you have done and having discovered the sport at the age of 23. So, I think there's a lot to be said. If there were a pathway like there is in Spain, for example, so the six to eleven is quite a big uh, market, and obviously in England we're leaning towards probably elevens to sixteens. Um, just having players that can access the game at that age is just going to make a massive difference, isn't it? Yeah, one hundred percent. I mean, that, that realistically, if if England do want to progress, uh, both in terms of club structure and, and and on the international pathway, you know, hopefully when that returns. Um, you know, it does have to be built from the ground up, and there's 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 loads of clubs around the country who have who are doing that, and have been doing that for a few years. But I think for a long time, certainly when I was, the majority of the time I've been involved, actually, you know, it's always been about the first team and and getting people involved at at, at the senior end of the club because we it wasn't like we were had a clubs had a big player pool in terms of adults. So they, they were putting so much effort into trying to get a competitive team on court for the first team that everything else was paling into insignificance. And I think that's probably probably something we've done wrong and we need to learn from. Certainly from, in my opinion, for the women's game moving forward, you know, I do think that in, in order for the women's participation and, and quality to increase, we have to look at building it from the ground up rather than from the top down. Um, you know, don't get me wrong, there's nothing wrong with doing it top down, but it always takes longer. Um, especially when the exposure in the sport isn't isn't big enough, you know, the sport will grow m more if we can grow it from the ground up, and and I actually think more exposure will come if if we build from the kids first. Um, but that's just my opinion. It's interesting you've touched upon the, that route because we spoke about another episode how people would like to see things with Jeff. Sort of, do you think going up down, um, top down, sorry, or down up works and you mentioned the women's game there, and I've, I've, I think I've seen Bolton have started a, a ladies' team or they've got adverts for a ladies' team. We see Bolton do loads of Wildcat stuff and loads of youth stuff. Um, is that, obviously, other than from where you live as well, is that partly why you're involved in Bolton? Sort of, you agree with the, 
the the, the, the way Bolton do things because we take a lot of inspiration from what Bolton do. And we, we we happily admit it. We almost copy or do a lot of the things Bolton do because it works. It's effective. So is that part of why you've gone to Bolton? Yeah, obviously there's, the location played a part. You know, I, I I moved to I moved to Wigan in 2017. Um, and once I'd made the decision, I didn't want to travel down to play for Alvesia. I was looking for a more local club, but. I actually, my, my lad started playing for Bolton six months before I signed for them. And, and you know, I joked to Mick that that was sort of me going on a bit of a scouting mission um, to see what the club was like, you know, not only from the outside or social media, but also from the inside. Um, you know, I mean, I think Mick will be the first to admit that less so these days, but certainly in his in his formative years of Twitter, he was he was pretty outspoken, um, and he rubbed a few people up the wrong way, and sometimes came across uh, came across like a you know a, a bit of a pain in the ass. I'm not going to lie, um, you know he's he's definitely mellowed um, in, in recent years, um, but he, he's honestly in in terms of the people I've met in, in futsal, I, I've never met I've not. I've not come across anybody so far who puts the amount of time in that he does in order to get kids involved in, in futsal. Um, you know, he's, he's, he's out every night of the week. You know, I, I, I help as much as I can, but at the moment there's only me and him do it. Uh, obviously we've had a bit of a break um, in the last 12 months on and off, but he literally coaches six, six nights of the week. Um, how he gets away with it was misses. I'll never know. Um, <laughs> you know I, I try and help out for a, for a couple of the nights and take the older age groups. And, you know, I really enjoy it. And, you know, I've been doing it again on and off for about 18 months and it, it's probably kept me involved in the sport over the past 18 months. I think I, I, it would have been really easy for me to, after my injury and then after England sort of, folding I suppose or being taken away it would have been really easy for me to just go I don't fancy doing it anymore but I've, I've enjoyed coaching the kids so much that, that that's what's keeping me in, involved and that's what will get me back playing um, otherwise I, at 35 you know six knee operations in as Liam said I'm, I'm not a spring chicken anymore um, you know everyone, everyone's starting to make me feel really old and, and I could quite easily have just gone well I'll leave it um, you know I'm, I'll just I'll knock it on the head but his 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 enthusiasm and the kids' enthusiasm is what keeps me going. So yeah, going back to the original question of the women, it's difficult. You know, I think Mick's been trying to sort of get it off the ground and get going for you know a good twelve months anyway. COVID doesn't help, but you know, going back to the the, the player pool, you know, it, it's hard to try and get people to come in, and you know, we've obviously not been able to to have the league start, so there's been there's no sort of carrot to dangle in front of them at the moment. Um, but again, I, we, we wanted to start with the Wildcats, and we've got some we've got some really good uh, girls to train with our our boys. Uh, in fact, in my, in my opinion, the best player in our club, entire from top to bottom, is a girl. She's 11 years old, and she plays up to under 14s, and she's far and away, for me, above any kid I've seen for years. And she's miles better than I ever was, or is. Um, you know, she'll go on to do great things, but. It's difficult trying to trying to get them involved, and for me, the the biggest the biggest hurdle for kids futsal is regular games and getting competition for them. You know, it's really difficult to to entice kids over to come and play futsal away from football, and then go, oh, but we're not going to play for four weeks. Are you going to have one game every four weeks? You know, we've got some really committed kids at at Bolton who don't play football, but then trying to keep them regularly competing is the hardest challenge. Mm. Yeah, it's definitely a balance that we're missing and I mean touching on obviously your help with the coaching elements of things particularly when you're going through obviously the rehab of, of, of one of the latest um, 
so many Cheers surgeries that. that you've had. Just, just, <laughs> I mean, you said it yourself, and I mean, you put words in my mouth. I didn't say that you weren't a spring chicken. I mean, <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I definitely worded it differently. But um, <laughs> when you have been doing the coaching stuff, I mean, yeah, I, I've kind of spoken quite uh, intently to Carl and James about it before when when coaching the Bedford Academy myself at like the regional uh, youth futsal series events. Um, managed to get like a draw out of the Leicester City Academy, but I've just not I've not been able to beat Bolton. And I don't know why. Uh, <laughs> is it down to is it down to your son? Is it down to you on the sideline? Is it down to me being a terrible coach? Uh, don't know. <laughs> say anything on that. Could be a mixture of all of them. You're only young. You'll learn. <laughs> I've got plenty of time. I've got, I've got yeah, age on my so, side, I suppose. Yeah, never beaten Bolton. Every single time, Cookie's faced me, and he just he'll shake my hand at the end and then walk off, and I think, okay, cheers, cheers, Stuart. That. <laughs> Morale just goes whoop, straight down. <laughs> Hey, don't, don't blame me, blame the kids. That's nothing to do with me. They, they turn up and play. They don't even really listen to me, so I'm, I've got very little influence over them. Maybe that's why they're doing so well. Yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> right. I'm going to try and lighten the mood here a little bit, Stuart, because I know we've been talking about bits and bobs. I'm going to try and lighten the mood a bit, because uh, obviously uh, Carl earlier talked about kind of how he talked to uh, Liam a few podcasts ago about kind of different stories, etc. in England. Obviously, I don't want to push you push you with anything so I'm looking at doing now a kind of England teammates section so I'm going to ask you a few questions and I want you to kind of give me you know honest answers this could be kind of England teammates from when you started playing to to now we might pick the kind of recent England team it's, it's completely up to you so I've got a kind of we're, we're looking kind of soccer am kind of style teammates so I've got a kind of a list of questions that I ask you and see if you can answer it the best you can yeah yeah, yeah, let's go. You ready? Cool, let's go. Right, so my first one is, in your opinion, who's the most skillful player? Uh, outside of myself, obviously. Yeah, yeah. No, it's <laughs> up to you. You can say yourself. It's completely up to no, you. No, no, it, it isn't me. Um, the, uh, although there is only one person I'll admit that it is, and it, it's Robert Ursel. Uh, I mean, I, I, I said recently on another podcast that I did that as, as a player, I, I, I was... I am quite arrogant and I played quite arrogantly. And for years, I always said that Robert Ursel was the only player who ever had better feet than me that I played with. I mean, that was a bit of a lie because loads of players have got better feet than me or better dribblers. Um, they just they just didn't really know how to put it into into play and put it on court. Uh, and, and for me, that, comes, that sort of came back to the whole, the amount of five-a-side that I played when I was a kid that not everybody else did. So there, I can do things on a court or, or on, on the pitch that other people necessarily can't, just because I've been in that situation, for me, probably a thousand times more than them. But Robert Ursel, nicknamed the Wizard, um, for obvious reasons, you know, and he he, he, he was involved. I, I knew him through five-a-side, and he was involved um, under Graham Dell originally, and then he carried on sort of playing when Pete Sturges first took over. Um and he's he's a pain in the ass. He's got he's the only what probably the only player who's played for England's had a worse diet than me. Um, he's but with, with a ball at his feet, he's an, he's absolutely incredible. Um, you know, he, he played professionally out in Cyprus for three or four years futsal. Um, when what was he looking around 20, 2010-ish for like I say for two or three seasons, played in a few UEFA cups, and he's obviously played for Helvetia. Uh, and play, and I think he is the last thing he did in England was he was manager of Baku when they won the FA Cup a couple of years ago. Um, you know, and he, like I say, he's he's a he's an absolute wild wild card. 
I, I roomed with him a few times. Uh, we were my first when I first got back into the squad in 2012 after my uh, first ACL injury. I'd been out of the squad two years and, and no one no one wanted to room with us and I'd known him for years. Um, so I said, well, I'll, I'll room with him. So night before the first game, bearing in mind I'd not been involved for two years and I was desperate to do well. France were, whilst they're not the team they are now, they were still good. They had a lot of very good players, really skillful. So I'm a little bit nervous night before, you know, trying to get my head down early night. Um, anyway, four o'clock in the morning, I wake up, I'm like, that noise and a load of rustling like, what's going on I look across and now Urs always watched like TV series and at the time he was watching Californication and he had like 13 series or whatever it is and I looked across and all I could see he's got these big headphones on his laptop on his neck he's, he's blaring out and he's got a, a 24 bag of sort of like Walker's crisps that he's just plowing through and he's like 18 bags deep and I'm like, Urs, we've got a game. We've got a game tomorrow. He's like, I'll be all right. I'll get, you know, I I only need four hours sleep. Like, yeah, but we've got to be up in three for for breakfast. And he he, <laughs> he just he was up. He was always up. He never went to sleep. Um, and like I say, but then you put a ball at his feet, and m- most people could never get it off him. Um, and for me, I I think he was sort of dropped out of the English squad a little bit early, um, probably because of his attitude. You know, like I say, he was a bit of a pain in the ass um and he he didn't he didn't never did himself any favors shall we say and and that's me probably being nice to him um <laughs> you know i think other people would be a little bit harsher on him but I, i've known him for years and you know he's he's still a good friend i still speak to him now but uh, he rubbed he rubbed he rubbed certain people up the wrong way which didn't go down too well <laughs> but yeah it was in terms of most skillful robert ursel's definitely up there Brilliant. Who would you say is considered themselves the hard man, the hard man of the group? <laughs> oh, the hard man. Give me a uh, chance I mean, to dig a few people out. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, I don't necessarily think we've got many hard men. Um, I mean, we've, we've got a few soft men, uh, not mentioning <laughs> any, any, any Russell Goldstein names. Um, but in, uh, Richard Ward likes to throw his weight around a little bit. Now, not necessarily because he considers himself to be a hard man, but usually because his first touch puts him into a 50-50. Um, so he, he, he's, he's, he's well known as a bit of a shin kicker, uh, both for scoring goals off shins and generally just kicking people. Um, and he likes, to, he, he likes to kick the young lads when they first come in and see what they're made of. Um, and then when they bite back, he sort of cowers into the corner and doesn't really want to get involved. But uh, I, don't necess- I, I generally don't think we've got many hard men. Um, Calvin Dixon will probably claim to be one, but he just walks really aggressively. Um, he's a big softy. Um, I don't, I, honestly, I don't think we, I don't think I've got a hard man for you. Um, no, Payne will have words about that, won't he? Payne, no, Payne, you're having a laugh. I'll tell you a funny story about Payne. Um, I mean, I, I take it you follow Payne on Twitter. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You see, you know, how much, you see how much he talks on Twitter about all the stuff that's going on at the minute. He tweets all the time. He never shuts up, does it? And obviously, if you know him in real life, that's exactly how he is in real life. You can't get a word <laughs> in that So when he first came into the England squad, like you know, he's he's very chatty. And, and don't get me wrong, I, I love him to pieces, and he's he's a good mate now. But when he first came in, he was he was a bit annoying, and you know, I'm. <laughs> I'm a bit quiet and like when we're doing the serious stuff, it's serious. And then we have a laugh outside of it. So I think we were having a quiz or a team meeting. You know, we'd done a team meeting and then we were doing a bit of a quiz. One of Dan Tadmore's famous quizzes, awful quizzes. Um, 
And anyway, there's a bit of a debate going on. All I can hear for like five minutes is Payne chirping up behind me and chirping and chirping. And I'm like, oh, he's doing me head in. Just shut up, Payne. So anyway, he carries on and it, it sort of goes quiet and he, he, he says something else. So I, 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 I cut him off and I said, Payne, you know what I mean? It's early days. Be seen, not heard. And everybody, he just went silent and it, it was it proper cutting. It cut deep and um, he, he went silent and then just never really spoke again. Um, but it, it's one of those, like, I, I, as soon as I said it, I felt really harsh. But afterwards, I, I obviously had to go and have a little conversation with him. And then a few months later, he came and played for me in a little bit of a charity event. And we, we had a catch up. And like I say, now he's he's one of my best mates. But it, it, it really was one of those for pain. He'd been involved for like five minutes and, for the entire day, all you could hear was Joe Payne's voice, and you know, what I mean, he's he's got he's not got the best best the best of accents in the world anyway. Um, so I just had, we had to cut him off and say, look, you know, be seen, not heard for a little bit, and in twelve months you can have a chat and you can talk to everybody. Um, but yeah, he's he, he's he's definitely not a hard man, mate. Yeah, we'll bear that in mind for our inevitable call-ups, then, boys. Yeah, we'll just keep. <laughs> so so how about then? Uh, who's the most likely to miss a sitter? Um, def definitely Russell Goldstein. In fact, I've, I've probably got four or five on video that I could fire across to you straight away without even <laughs> without even having to look. Um, he is the worst finisher in the history of futsal. I mean, it, it's strange, really, because he actually got his call up off the back of scoring a lot of second post tappings for Loughborough. Uh, I mean, for years I called him a competition winner. I have no idea how he got into the England squad to start with. Um, you know, he was a, a short little fat thing with with a, a massive head of hair. Now he's really he's he's, he's skinny with and it's skinny and balding. So you can see how long he's been involved. Um, but he he can't he now he can't finish he can't finish to save his life. But he got in the squad because he was a bit of a sort of second post gangster. Um, and I, I still never know how he got the call up when he got it. You know, Loughborough do wonderful things for you. Um, but he, I mean, he he epitomises everything that involved that needs to be involved with England. You know, I, I jokingly said there that I, he was a bit of a competition when he when he came into the squad. But you know, ten oh, what is it about eight years later? And for me, he's one of the best football players in the country. Um, you know, without a shadow of a doubt. And anybody who doesn't think he is doesn't know what doesn't know what they're watching. Um, you know, he's worked so hard over the years to to improve himself both phys physically and tactically. Um, you know, and the way he the way he moves on court is is perfect for for any young any young player to be watching coming up. Um, you know, I, I always used to tell kids not to to do as I say, not as I do, because I, I still believe that I'm a football player playing futsal. You know, yeah, I've got futsal tendencies now because of the amount of games that I've played. But I, you know, when you when you talk about futsal players, you know, players like Liam and, and Ross, um, they're they're the players you want to be watching. The way they move with the ball, without the ball, into space, out of space, changes the speed, changes the direction. Um, you know, that's what futsal is. It's, it's not necessarily what I do, which is just bully, try to bully as many people as I can um, until it's successful. Um, you know, you want to be watching, want to be watching those players. A bit of an interesting one always, oh, I like this one always, is, is um, who's got the worst dress sense in the squad? Liam. It's not even, it's not even debatable. It's, so it's not, it's not even debatable. Um, sure, sweet. I try and do him a favour, but he's. I mean, right now in Italy, I can guarantee he's wearing a Helvetia tracksuit from about five years ago, 
some England socks are at least three years old that aren't white anymore and have got about four holes in them um, with some free Munich trainers that he got from a sponsorship about five years ago. And that, that's that's pretty much Liam down to a T for the majority of, of the days uh, throughout any week. Um, <laughs> we, I mean, to be fair, on... on on um, obviously when we're away with England, the majority of the stuff, majority of the time we wear England gear. As you can see, most of the stuff I land around the house in is England wear. Um, and we occasionally get the odd night out, but they they sort of dwindled as the years the years went on and the the program became a little bit more serious. Um, going back a few years, um, Doug Reed always had dodgy dodgy club off, a very safe club. We always looked like PE teacher on a night out. Um, <laughs> Um, who else had dodgy gear? I can't think of it. I don't. We we had a when we went out to Latvia a couple of years ago when we when we came through the prelims. Argon Rexer was back in the squad and um, he came out looking like a kebab shop owner in a, a nice little pink <laughs> Ralph Lauren number. Um, and then when we went we went to a restaurant for some food and the the, the guy who sort of the guy who owned the restaurant we went in walked over and he was wearing almost the same shirt but a slightly different shade to Argon um, and he, he got a bit of grief for that uh, there's a few photoshops uh, a few photoshop pictures floating around of him in it um, so yeah but no for, for me it's probably Liam um, and he'll, he'll have a go at me for that because you know he'll always say oh it's he, comfy and he doesn't dress he, he, you know he just wears dresses for comfort but um, I'm not having it personally <laughs> Right, well, we'll have two more. We'll have two more left. So we'll go. Uh, so who's consider themselves the team joker? Who's the joker of the squad? Right, well, I don't... I mean, again, Ward has got horrendous banter, but he will force it uh, as long as he can. But in terms of team joker, he's, he's only... Uh, the, the, the funniest person I've, been, I've known in, fo in football or futsal is Luke Ballinger. Um you know, I, uh, sorry. Um, one of the, it, it, honestly, 24-7, when I first got involved in the squad, he made my time at England, you know, tenfold. Um, some of the stuff he used to do was just ridiculous. Um, there's a few stories that I, wa I want to tell, but I can't because I think I'll get him in trouble. Uh, I don't think he'll be bothered, but I just, I'd rather not tell him. Um, I, I, I told one the other week about him, jumping out of the traffic lights and doing press-ups um, in, in the middle of the 406 um, <laughs> and throwing some shapes um, in the middle of the road. Um, but there was a few others. Uh, when we was... Um, wherever we used to go, um, no matter where we were, the first thing you would do when we walked on court anywhere was just Klinsman into the nearest sponsorship board. Um, and that was just that was just something he did. Uh, wherever we went, he just he would cleansman everywhere. Um, you know, he used to always uh, he, he always used to wind up Tony Elliott, the old goalkeeping coach. Um, and I'm, I'm proper proper wind, winding him up. Um, and Tony was uh, Tony was an ex pro, so obviously he'd been around around football for for years and was used to it. But I remember he was out in Malta once uh, around 2013 um, before. I think it's probably before the Latvia game, which was like the most important one of the little of the prelims. And uh, he, he'd been going at him all day and goading him and goading him and goading him. And Tony was really good at sort of just biting his tongue and getting on with it. And um, 
I can't remember what he said, but he, he, he rubbed him up the wrong way and, and Tony went for him in the changing rooms and he had a proper little scrap in the changing rooms. And so they went at it for about a minute and everyone was a bit like, oh, is this serious or not? And then, you know, two minutes later, they'd sort of stopped and Bally was still trying to go for him. And, and I don't know if you, if, if you don't know, Bally is about five foot seven. And at the time, there was nothing to him. And, and Tony's like six four and absolutely massive. And it's just like a little chihuahua. <laughs> nipping at a great Dane field. Um but yeah, but Bally, Bally was always always class clown, and he he always um, that was just what he did. I mean, he was captain for years, obviously, and he for me he was he was a he was a great leader, and I got on really well with him. Um, we used to have a bit of a initiations where on all, on all, all all the training camps, sort of they would be over a Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and he, as long as we didn't have a game. Like the Friday night, we would always have a, it'd have to be pants party. So everyone would go to everyone would go to, to whoever's room it was or the biggest room, and all you could wear is your slips. Obviously, it, England provided slips, and they're not they're not very flattering. White ones usually got stains in and been worn for about ten years by millions of different England squads. And it didn't matter whether you were new or old, you know, or whether you know whether you'd been involved for years. You, you had to come to the pants party, and then. He always made us play a game where basically I had to turn the lights out and everyone just had to do something stupid or get in a stupid position and then the lights would come back on. I remember James Webb and Jordan Parker, their first trip, and um they wouldn't they wouldn't come to the party. They would they won't they won't come to the pants party. So everyone who was in it, we all went to their room and they were all they sat there and they both sort of sat on the end, sat on the bed, just looking, looking scared. So Valley's right, right turn the lights out. So we turn the lights out and not everybody got involved in doing something stupid. Um, but anyway, Bally stripped himself, stripped, stripped naked and he, he's climbed on top of the wardrobe and he's, he's sort of like, he, he's, he's knelt down like he's ready to pounce. Um, <laughs> so the light comes on and he just jumped, he's jumped, he jumps off the top of the wardrobe. Um, and it, honestly, it, the, the faces of, of Webby and, and Jordan Parker at the time were just, we were a picture. Um, Obviously, Webby's still involved now, so he didn't he didn't scar him too much, uh, and he, he was he was he was quite happy to come and get involved in pants parties after that. But yeah, but Bali's <laughs> Bali's always the uh, always the funniest. And final one, in your opinion, who is the best player to play for England? You can say yourself. Um, no, I, I so I. I don't think I'm the best player to play for England. I, I think, for, uh, to being honest, I, I think I've been the most influential because of my playing style. Um, you know, I'm, a, I, I'm like I say, I'm a, I'm a relatively arrogant player and I always believed when I stepped on court that I was the best player, regardless of who he was playing against. But that was just me telling myself that. And that allowed me to influence games probably more than other people could, whether they were better players than me or not. Um, you know that, that the, the self belief that I had, um, I think, far outweighed a lot of players who have got more ability than me, who, who are better than me. You know, as I mentioned Liam and Russ before. In my opinion, they're both better futsal players than me. I think they just need to. It's different being being good at futsal and being able to influence the game are different things. Um, you know, I'm 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 a I'm a loud, generally a loud person on court. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm strong in my opinions. If I believe, if, if I think if I'm, if I say something or I believe something, then I can, I can go and make it happen. Um, you know, so 
I believe that I had a lot. I, I had a lot of influence on court for anybody who I played for. I mean, I actually the least the least enjoyment I got out of football was playing for Alvesia because we were the best team, and it wasn't there wasn't really much to do. You you kind of just went through the motions and still still won. Well, the majority of the games. Um, you know, I think we we didn't lose a game for like two and a half years, and it wasn't fun. I I, I much preferred playing for for, for Manchester and ultimately what would have been Bolton where everybody's everybody's coming to beat you and you have to play above yourself. And, you know, that's where my influence on court probably makes me stand out above other people. Um, in my opinion, the, the, the best player I've, the best player for England in terms of a little bit of everything is Argon Rexo. Um, but unfortunately for Argon, a bit like myself, he, he, he his weight goes up and down like a yo-yo. Um, you know, when he was at Baku, you know, and he, and he captained Baku um, and he, he, he captained them against Barcelona to an elite round of UEFA Cup and he was playing really well for England. He's the most two-footed player I've ever seen. Um, got great ability with the ball, without the ball, intensity. Um, you know, for me, Argon was the best, the best player who England have had. And unfortunately, he just he never really wanted to take it as seriously as not that he, he not that he needed to, but as seriously as I wanted him to. Because I think if he'd have taken it seriously, we would have progressed further than we did. Um, I think the fact that he went when sort of he drifted away the first time around, um, and he, he obviously back you folded that that sort of ended his involvement. So you're going back like five years and he's not, he's not particularly old. You know, he's a few years younger than me. So, you know, he, he, he went out to Italy not long ago, but he's, he's not in shape, but he, he's still got the ability to affect games. Um, you know, he's the best, he, for me, he's the best player England have had. Like I say, I, I, a lot of people say it's me, but I, I just think I, I, I found a way to influence games more than others uh, rather than necessarily being the best player. Um, you know, there's, like I say, there's loads of players who have got, you know, who are, who are more futsal um, specific than I am. You know, I'm just, like I say, I'm a big lump just kicking people and smashing through people until we get to the other side. Um, you know, like I said before, I'm a, I'm a fat lad with decent feet. You know, there's, there's proper futsal players out there doing doing way more than I can do. Uh, I just I just found a way that, to influence games and, and rolled with it. And I think it's interesting you say that because every time we ask someone or most of the time we ask someone who's the best player, your name comes up. And I think you sort of alluded to the fact you have an impact on games and maybe that, that's why, maybe, because you've impacted so many different games, different teams. Um, um, I'm not sure they'd all agree that you're the fat kid, fat kid with decent feet because you've honestly, between me, Liam and James, we've heard your name in nearly every podcast now. We've, we're talking about starting up a Stuart Cook bingo in the <laughs> podcast because your name gets brought up all the time. Um in relation to your name getting brought up, obviously on we've recently done our Warzone tournament and you were very close to winning. You came second. And um, I was on the receiving end of uh, some funny abuse from yourself because we won in glamorous style our first Warzone game. Um, you didn't didn't uh, respond too well to the right shield tactic. <laughs> it wasn't the right shield, right shield tactic that I, I, I sort of was against because I actually thought you played the final fight quite well. It was the being on the outskirts of the map hidden in a house with four people that, that was a bit like 
come on, lads, this this is not fun. But to be fair, that made sense once I'd looked at what your KD was at 0.66. <laughs> I understand now why you're hiding and not looking to go and get involved in fights. Um, you know, so it made, it made a lot of sense, you know, you know, two two plus two equals four. You know, whereas myself and Calvin, Liam and Russ at the time, we were looking to go and get involved and get a few kills, um, which obviously didn't go too well in the first game because I think we, we got, we lost the second fight we were involved in, um, but we finished second in the second game. Uh, but yeah, we uh, we don't play much of the normal wars, and we've been playing uh, the resurgence one, where mm. you can die and come back quite a lot because nobody likes waiting around. The map's yeah. huge on a Verdansk; it's ridiculous, especially if you've got teams like yourself hidden in houses, <laughs> left, right, and centre. On you know, I don't like running at the best of times. I'm not going to do it on a computer game. No, absolutely not. Um... And in regards to our war zone, we, we've changed the format based on the, the feedback from people saying everyone was camping. It was a weird, it was weird <laughs> playing war zone with people we got invited because everyone camped. And in the last circle, there was like 50 people left. Um, yeah, it was, it was like, it was like playing a, a professional Fortnite scrims game where it was just, <laughs> everyone was boxed up in a house at the end of the game. And, you know, nobody had any kills, but there was still 48 people left in a, in a two by two circle. Um, yeah, no, it was, um, I, I enjoyed it though. It's it was a little bit long, as as Liam probably alluded yeah. when he was messaging you. Yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, I like once I'm sat down ready to game. Once the kids are in bed, it's like let's let's go. Let's play. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. yeah. Two and a half hours later, when we were still waiting to for you to get <laughs> out of that, that that house, I was a bit like you know, any chance, Carl? <laughs> no, no, I agree. And that's why we we've changed the format because. I was on the receiving end of a fair bit of abuse for that camping style, but we did win. So I'm um, quite rightly so. Yeah. <laughs> Winning yeah. doesn't always get doesn't doesn't always get you out of um get you out of abuse. Uh, no, it's not always no, a justified reason. I found out the hard way. He was, the exact he was for charity, Carl. Yeah, <laughs> charity. You know, there's no personal gain there. You know, we're all in it for a bit of fun. Yeah, exactly. And I, I took all the fun out of it and have great pleasure in saying that. Um, now we're starting. We're doing another one on Saturday, obviously, which we're we're unsure if you're going to be involved in. But we've we've changed the the point system so that it's points for kills. Um, and points for places, so it's a little bit more appealing to the people who like a gunfight, and it means I've got to come out of my little house and try and shoot Yeah, I'll have, to, I'll have to see if I can round the troops up, because um, I think we might be short on numbers this week, but we'll, we'll, I'll let, we'll let you know. Um, it was good, it, like I say, it was, it was a good laugh, um, and if you're, if you're going to come out of your house, it'd be nice to, um, to kill you. Absolutely, I'm <laughs> sure I'll be the most hunted person, and I'll take great pleasure yeah. in that. It was all for charity, so like we say, happy days, but no, Stuart, it's been lovely to have you on, and we've had some great stories in regards to what's gone on. And you've sort of told us a lot of stories and sort of towed the line where you obviously don't want to get your, your pals and yourself into any trouble or disrepute. But no, we really appreciate you coming on. You've obviously, you've probably definitely got better things to be doing than listening to us three on a Tuesday night at half past eight. But um, really appreciate giving us the time. Like we say, we reasonably do these pods is to try and grow futsal, to try and not for our own self gain, because we don't get anything. We're not going to make money off this podcast. You know what I mean? We're trying to, trying to grow the game, trying to get opinions. And some of the stuff you've said is quite, quite valuable. And I like the fact you've touched upon the, particularly the youth stuff going from bottom to top and that being a bit of a, a key area for this country. And it's something we recognise at Bedford that we did the other way around, partly because we wanted to play football from uni because we'd all finish university. But actually, like I said, the player pool side of things and getting the game growing, the key way to do it is that. And I think you've really hit the nail on the head whilst having a good laugh at the same time which Liam did say you deliver. So Liam clearly delivers on all his promises, including some dodgy celebrations, which we persuaded him into as well. So um, no, thank you very much, Stuart. And all to our listeners, just continue to pass the pod. But no, thank you very much. 
No problems. Thanks for having me. No worries. You've been listening to The Griffin's Nest, a podcast by Bedford Futsal Club.